John chapter 4 is where we are heading. It's been brilliant. I've absolutely been loving it. And uh, Simon and Philippa and uh, last week Archdeacon Liz have done an amazing job just just leading us through uh, this gospel, uh, this kind of window, if you like, into the life of Jesus when he was here uh, walking around here on earth. And, uh, and I love it right at the start. I don't know if you remember, Simon kind of introduced the idea of this book to us and actually talked about all the different gospel accounts. And, uh, and he said that actually if you were going to liken John to a movie, it would be The Notebook. You know, it's kind of like it's got that romance to it. It's this amazing story of relationships. You know, it's not just an account of stuff that happened. You know, it's not a documentary film. It's like, it's like a romance story. You know, if you were going to sum up John in one word, well, I guess the, the word would be love. You know, laced through the pages, through the stories, through the encounters that we see Jesus having in this gospel is love. As Jesus takes time out to speak to people to get to know people, to allow people to get to know him. And so, and so what we find as we read through it is actually quite long pieces of narrative, quite, quite kind of really chunky stories about, about what was going on and how Jesus interacted uh, with different people. Uh, and right at the start in chapter 1, it kind of kicks off by John uh, giving us a series of titles. And, uh, and he basically tells us straight up that this fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king. He's the expected king of the Jews. He's the teacher of Israel. He's the son of God and he is going to die for the sins of the world. So John just gets that right out there, right at the start. And, of course, and this is a pretty big claim to kick off with. You know, it's kind of like Alpha week one, really, when it's just like, who is Jesus? And John says, this is who Jesus is is. And then what happens after that is really kind of the first half of the book of John from, from, from kind of chapters 2 through 12, uh, are really a series of specially kind of hand-picked stories, you know, encounters that John pulls together to really support this claim that he makes about who Jesus is right at the start of this book. And all of these stories follow the same uh, basic pattern. So what we're going to see in all of them is, is that Jesus performs a sign or he makes some kind of claim, some kind of sort of controversial claim, uh, and he then generally just gets misunderstood. Uh, and, and then at the end of the encounter, all the people involved have to make a choice about who Jesus is. This is the basic pattern that tracks through all of these stories in the first half of John. And, and Jesus' early ministry began in the region of Judea, kind of in the southern part of the nation of Israel. Yeah, and Israel was a divided nation. There was kind of, it was known as Israel in the north and Judea in the south. And Jesus began kind of around Judea, and the more he spoke and the more people he met with, the more, the more followers, the more disciples he seemed to pick up. And actually, a lot of interest gathered around Jesus at this early point in his ministry. And, uh, and what's interesting is that could have been seen to have all sorts of political overtones at that time. And Jesus wasn't into that. You know, Jesus wasn't trying to create some kind of political coup. He wasn't trying to kind of shake the nation by pulling people together. He wasn't trying to establish loads 
of followers. And so as soon as this began to happen, he moves on. Yeah, just as a little aside, I think this is fascinating, particularly for us in our culture today. Jesus was not trying to get loads of followers. You know, I think that can be really challenging for us. We have this culture today that's rigged around, you know, let me present something and I want you to like me. I want you to follow me. I want you to engage with what I'm doing. I want to build a number of people that are looking at who I am and what I'm doing. And this is not what we see happening in the life of Jesus. People begin to follow him here in Judea and so he leaves and he heads north. And this is where we pick up the story today. I'm going to read it to you. It's a really big, long chunk. Chapter 4, we're going to go from verse 4 all the way through to verse 42. So I'm going to put on my best uh, narrative voice for you. Uh, You're welcome to follow along. It starts on page 1007 in the Church Bibles, but you might just want to close your eyes, picture the scene. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sicha, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband, come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a great prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ 
is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, well, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, those who reap draw their wages. Even now, they harvest the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for these amazing windows into your life here on earth and Holy Spirit as we just spend a few moments now just uh, just looking at this passage would you uh, would you speak to us would you move us and mold us Jesus we want to be more like you when we leave this place than when we came in thank you that you are a God that wants us to know you amen 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 Hey, let me give you the title for my talk. You know, if you don't remember anything else, if you just write one thing down, I've called this message today, Jesus wants to meet you. Brackets, even though he knows you. Sub-brackets, really knows you. Close brackets. Jesus wants to meet you. You know, I think there's a problem that we have. I know there's a problem I have, I think. You know, a problem of self-disclosure that we get today. Where actually we don't want to really disclose much of who we are. You know, I guess we don't like being vulnerable. I remember when um, one of the first job interviews I ever, I ever went for. In fact, I was going for a job as an administrator of a Christian charity. I was kind of just out of school. It was one of the first things that I'd done. And, uh, yeah, I was going for a job as, a, as an administrator. And I remember I, I sat in this, uh, in this interview. And, of course, you know, one of the interview questions was, hey, you know, so Phil, tell us about your weaknesses. 
And so I go, oh, gosh. Um, we've all been there, huh? You know, we, we've kind of been there. We've interviewed people or we've been at an interview or something where people have said, tell us about your weaknesses. You know, has, has, anyone, ever, has anyone ever done that thing where they go, so they tell us your weaknesses, and you go, well, oh, you know, I'm, the trouble with me is I'm, I'm just a bit of a perfectionist. And, you know, I just, I, just work, I just work really hard. I find it really hard to stop working you know, and I just really, I just want to work, I just want to do a really good job, you know, and I'll just, you know, have you, has anyone ever said that? Anyone said that? <laughs> the, well, I didn't, say, I didn't say that one, but I remember I was sitting in this interview to become an administrator in this Christian organisation, and, uh, and they asked me, Phil, tell us about your weaknesses, and I was sitting there, and I thought, oh gosh, I don't want to answer this question, and actually, if I'm honest, what I was sitting thinking was, what I really need to say, well, my weakness is uh, kind of administration, <laughs> um, <laughs> not great at admin, um, and, and of course I didn't want to say that, you know, in fact I didn't really want to disclose anything that was weak about me, you know, I thought well, they're not going to want me, you know, if I tell them my weakness, if I tell them who I really am, and that's, so and this is honestly why I did this first interview ever, so I sat there for a little while, tell us about your weaknesses Phil, and I was kind of, I can't really think of it. I don't, I, don't if I, I don't think I've got anything. <laughs> I honestly said that. And they, so I don't know why, but they actually gave me the job. The most ridiculous answer ever. You know, I'm a little bit older now. I'm very aware of what my weaknesses are now. Hopefully I'm a little bit better at admin as well. Um, but I did get the job. But, you know, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to disclose what I was really like. I think we all, if we're honest, know that there are situations like that, that we find ourselves in, we think, gosh, if people really knew what I was like, then they wouldn't want me. I wouldn't get a job. But you know, Jesus wants to meet you. He wants to be with you. He loves you. He wants you on his team, even though he really, really knows you. So Jesus meets this woman, has this amazing encounter with this woman. And on one level, it seems just like a really kind of natural thing that's happening. Jesus is on a journey, he stops by a well, he meets a woman, they have a conversation about water and about worship, uh, you know, kind of a conversation about, about water he ends up using as a, just a, a kind of a metaphor for himself. And it just seems like a kind of a normal thing has happened. But when we start to dig into the story a bit and we look at the context, actually we realise that there's some really unusual things that are going on in this encounter. In fact, the first unusual thing is actually that Jesus is even there in the first place. Yes, yeah, so the whole history of the Samaritans is, is really quite interesting. You know, I mentioned that this idea, you know, that Israel was a divided nation, north and, uh, and south, and, and actually they lived quite divided, and, uh, and they, they warred a little bit amongst themselves, and, uh, but generally they warred against all the surrounding territories and the surrounding nations, uh, and their borders kind of went in and out and, and in and out, and there's a potted history of the nation of Israel that we read, uh, God's people, how they journeyed through that in the Old Testament, and uh, uh, and at some point, the Assyrian Empire rose up. Uh, and it kind of swept through Israel, the Northern Territory, and it smashed the nation. And people were carried off into exile. And, and actually, it wasn't, it wasn't long after that that then the Babylonian Empire rose up. Uh, and they kind of came through, and they took out the Assyrians. And then they went all the way, and they took out Judah as well. Uh, the, the Israelites were gone. You know, many of them, particularly the, the kind of the religious leaders, the, the wealthy families, the teachers, the scholars, they were all taken off 
into exile. And actually what you ended up with, left in the country, was kind of the remnant of the Israelites. And, and, and then actually what happened, both with the Assyrians particularly, and then with the Babylonians, is they, they used this nation to kind of sort of deposit a lot of other captives that they had taken from other uh, conquests. Uh, and so what you ended up with in Israel was this nation, this place full of different races, different people from different places who come with different cultures and had come with different gods. And what emerged was this kind of mishmash kind of culture and religion that kind of pulled lots of different things from different places. And eventually, when the Israelites who'd been taken off into exile came back to their country, they were suddenly at odds with the Israelites who had remained, the Samaritans, as they then really became known in this region, who had this kind of mishmash religion. You know, a little bit of Jehovah, a little bit of Baal. They kind of questioned how worship worked. And in fact, it was the Samaritans, they opposed the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, which was being led by the prophet Nehemiah. All these amazing stories that we see snapshotted at the end of the Old Testament. So there was this big conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. And in fact, the way it played out is that, you know, the Jews, they weren't even going to walk through that territory. You know, just a journey on those roads to go through Samaritan villages was to defile themselves. They weren't going to associate with those people. But Jesus picks his route, goes from north to south, and he travels through these Samaritan villages. And there he finds himself by a well. You know, it was unusual that he was there. And he was there in the heat of the day. In fact, I love this little uh, bit. John says, tired as he was from the journey. You know, this is, this is what you get. This is a classic John. You know, you get these snapshots into how it really felt. Jesus, in the heat of the day, he'd been journeying on his dusty roads. Tired as he was, he sat down at the well. And along comes this Samaritan woman. You know, another little aside. You know, isn't it amazing how Jesus is open to interruption. You know, in fact, all the best stories that we see, all the amazing encounters that Jesus had, they often begin with an interruption. You know, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he's gone up a mountain, he's so tired, he just retreats. He wants to be on his own, maybe speak to some of his disciples, he wants to pray. He's gone away deliberately, and then all of a sudden, this big hungry crowd turn up, and they interrupt him. And actually, well, what we see happen is one of the greatest miracles that's recorded for us in the Gospels. You know, Jesus was open to and able to cope with interruption. Yeah, I, I, I find that quite challenging, just a little aside. You know, but it's almost like God has kind of ordained this meeting. And then Jesus is happy to be inconvenienced. He chooses not to be inconvenienced and engages with the woman. You know, but let's be clear, there, there are some really good reasons, three reasons really, why Jesus shouldn't be talking to this woman. You know, and the first one is that she is a Samaritan. We've talked about that. You know, they haven't got a good relationship. And, and actually, for a Jew to receive a drink from the cup of a Samaritan, well, that's like, that's taking it way too far. This is just not what you do. 
Yet Jesus shouldn't be mixing with this Samaritan, this Samaritan woman. This is number two. You know, the, no good, respectable rabbi, teacher, would be seen just chatting alone with a woman. That just would not have been done in that culture either. You know, there was a, there was a great separation in the way that men and women uh, lived, you know, and you certainly uh, wouldn't have just been chatting together around a well. You know, no respectable rabbi would have done that. Actually, the third thing is that we soon find out the, the kind of woman that she was, the mess that she was in, as Jesus has this amazing insight into her life, into her relationships, into her history. You know, it was the sixth hour, it was about noon. The reality is, is that this woman was probably at the well at that time because she didn't want to bump in to anyone else. You know, the way it would have worked in those days is the women would have been up early and they would have gone to the well together as a community, as a group of women in the cool part of the morning to draw their water together for the day. I mean, it's likely that this woman is there on her own in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to be seen by anyone else. Maybe she's been shunned by the rest of the community. We certainly know she's had a difficult past. So let's be clear, there is no way that Jesus should have been talking to her. But we see that Jesus really wanted to meet with her. And then, and this is amazing, Jesus meets with her and he entrusts her with this incredible revelation of who he is. Jesus says uh, that he is here to bring living water that can become a source of eternal life. And, and actually, we, we know that in John, this, this whole kind of uh, metaphor around water is about a new quality of life that's being given by Jesus, one that's kind of infused with God's eternal love, one that can be, can, can be grasped now and can go all the way into the future. This is an incredible revelation that Jesus is giving to this woman. Not only does he meet her, but he entrusts her with some amazing truth about who he is. Yeah, don't you love it when someone takes you into their confidence? You know, when someone tells you something which they didn't need to, you know, which perhaps makes them a bit vulnerable. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? I went out for lunch this week with a, with, with a friend of mine, in fact, another, uh, another, another vicar and another church uh, and around in East London, and he, and he was just telling me about some of, the, some of the really exciting things that they're doing and actually some, some plans, which are a little bit confidential at, at the moment, but really exciting plans, and he was just telling me about these things. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I just, I'm really glad that you've told me that. I feel really great that you've trusted me to be vulnerable with me and tell me these really exciting things that are going on in your life and in the life of the church that you're serving. You know, I felt great. Isn't it amazing when someone trusts us with who they are? You know, that's what's going on here for this woman. You know, Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. It will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what happens? Well, she doesn't get it. 
She completely misunderstands him. You know, we see this conversation kind of go forward. Jesus gives her this incredible revelation and she completely misses the point. She completely doesn't get it. You know, in fact, her response to Jesus is, well, the well is deep and you don't have a bucket. She completely misses it. And actually, she gets bogged down by the practicalities of how Jesus might be able to do the thing that he's just been talking about. You know, I wonder how many times we hear the promises of God and, and when uh, we just allow practicalities to blind us to those promises. You know, how many times does God give us a promise and we just end up sitting there going, all right, then God, how on earth are you going to do that one, huh? How are you going to make that happen? And suddenly we become anxious and we become so concerned about how on earth is God going to do the things that he's promised to do rather than just receiving the blessing, receiving the promise that God has given us. Yeah, but this woman completely misses the point. So what happens next? <laughs> well, Jesus gives her more. She misses it the first time. He gives her more. Uh, they, they kind of then get into this amazing conversation around, around worship. And in fact, one of the things that I love about this encounter is, is kind of seeing the attitude of, of the woman play out. And actually, when you read it and you read some of the language and the questions that she gives to Jesus, it's like she's, she's a bit sarcastic, she's a bit defensive, she's kind of throwing things back at him. Uh, you know, she, I don't know if it's just out of defensiveness of not getting it. She suddenly quizzes him, you know, a little bit randomly, it seems, about worship. You know, well, hey, we Samaritans, we say we're going to worship worship on this mountain you know you Jews you say you're going to worship in Jerusalem who's right come on you know throw let's throw you a hard theological question but I love the way that Jesus takes this and uses it just to reveal more about himself to this woman this is one of my favorite passages and one of my favorite bits in this passage is what Jesus says next to the woman as he says the worshippers that God seeks are worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and we need to worship in spirit and in truth. And I love this, because I think what it does is it reveals to us something incredible about the nature of God. There's two amazing words being used here, spirit and truth. In, in the Greek, we, we read them as pneuma, spirit, and aletheia, truth. Spirit and truth, pneuma and aletheia. And they're kind of like polar opposites. They're complete opposites. You know, on one hand, you've got this spirit, this, this pneuma, which is the same word for kind of like, for sort of breath and it's spirit and it's like, it's intangible. You know, it's kind of out there. You know, you can't grab a hold of it. It's spirit, it's mystery. Uh, and on the other side, you have aletheia. It's truth. Solid. It's tangible. It's understandable. It's what I know. It's the solid ground on which I stand. You know, we see this amazing revelation of the character of God, the God who is spirit. And we're to worship in not just spirit, but in spirit and truth. You know, there's so much of God that we don't understand, so much that we can't grasp, so much that is mystery. But God doesn't just leave us in that place. He also offers us truth. He entrusts us with revelation of who he is so that he can be the solid ground on which we stand. He can be our confidence, not because we're just making it up as we go along, but because we know, because he's revealed to us something that is tangible 
You know, and this is the life of faith that we kind of journey between spirit and truth, between Numa and Aletheia. And Jesus is just on fire here, just like revealing this stuff, this amazing revelation to this woman who he encounters and he entrusts. You know, what an amazing privilege that we have a God who trusts us with who he is. You know, the next thing that we see happen is it's almost like God employs her to go and be his witness. You know, this woman who, who you know, on paper shouldn't have got the job. <laughs> she puts down a water jar. She goes back to her town and she says, come and see. And revival breaks out. Yeah, let's not, let's not skip over that too quickly. Uh, there's a little detail, another little detail. I love, I love the fact that John says, she put down her jar. You know, I wonder sometimes for all of us if there are things that we are holding, things that we are carrying, things that we feel that we have to do, you know, practicalities that we have uh, to serve. Uh, and I wonder sometimes if, if we just need to lay some things down in order to go. And reveal to people the things that God has revealed to us. You know, the only reason this woman was there was to collect her water. But she puts down her jar. She runs back to her town. And she just says, come and see. She didn't know how to kind of evangelize. She didn't know how to persuade anyone. She didn't get the theology. We know that. In fact, everything that Jesus has said to her, she misunderstands. You know, but somehow, Jesus has captured her heart. And actually, the truth is, the best evangelists do not persuade anyone to come and experience some kind of knowledge or come and experience some kind of transformation because of their words. The best evangelists just come and point people to Jesus. You know, we're not trying to argue people into the faith. We're just saying, look, come and see this man who is amazing. This woman said, he told me everything I ever did. And the town come. And Jesus reveals himself to them too. He stays with them. He talks to them. And we get this amazing, amazing verse at the end, verse 42. They said to the woman at the end, we no longer believe just because of what you said now. Because we've heard this for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This woman's had an encounter. She's been entrusted and then she's, she's basically employed into the service of God just to go and say, come and see. You know, Jesus wants to meet you. Even though he knows you, he really, really knows you. You know, Jesus meets this woman. He meets her where she is at. In the heat, in the dirt, in the wrong place at the wrong time, in her poor status, in her difference in her sarcasm, in her misunderstanding, in her defensiveness, in her shame, in her, in her sin. In fact, I'll read it again. Jesus wants to meet you where you are at. In the heat and in the dirt, when you're in the wrong place, at the wrong time, when you feel like you've got no 
status, when you just feel difference, when you're sarcastic, when you're misunderstanding, you're misunderstood, you're defensive, when you feel full of shame and guilt, when you're so conscious of your sin. Jesus fully knows you. He knows you. He still wants to meet you. He still wants to entrust you with the truth of who he is. He wants to employ you, to allow, he wants to allow you to go and reveal these truths to the people around you. You know, don't take yourself out of the game just because you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is a mess. Jesus wants to meet you, even though he knows you. He knows what you did last week. He knows what you thought last night. He knows those angry words that you said. He knows the poor decisions that you made. But he still wants to meet you. He's still got a job for you. He still wants you on his team because he loves you. He wants you to be able to love him. Yeah, it's a remarkable truth that we have a God who doesn't just know us, but he wants us to know him. He doesn't just want us to experience the kind of the mystery of spirit, but he wants us to know the truth that can become our confidence. So I don't know what you've come in here uh, with today. I don't know how you're feeling, how your week's been, but what I do know is that Whatever mistakes you feel you may have made at whatever part of your life, God's grace is bigger than your mistakes. 